Beer, Cheese, and Murder is a true crime podcast about Wisconsin from Wisconsin. Due to the nature of true crime, this podcast contains explicit and graphic content which may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Beer, Cheese, and Murder. I am Erica, and joining me, I have Bonnie, Nina, Jill's on mute. <laughs> oops, oops, sorry, Jill. <laughs> and I'm watching Terry to be like, why isn't Terry saying it now? <laughs> I was I'm like, here. her mouth moves. <laughs> All right, so this is a change of pace for us today. We've mostly been doing this on weekday nights the last few times, so now we're back to Sunday afternoon, Sunday fun day, so it's actually daylight outside, a little change there. So um, we talked a little bit about this, but for everybody that might be listening, what are you all eating and drinking today? I'm having a bottle of Cider Boys Grand Mimosa Apple Orange Hard Cider, and they are out of Stevens Point. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you said today is Sunday fun day, but Dina B had a little Saturday fun day yesterday, so I've got some water. I don't even have a snack today because I was too lazy to make one, so... <laughs> All right. Well, so you wouldn't know it now because it's like 50 degrees and there's yeah. no snow on the ground. But when I left this this morning uh, to head up to Bennett's tournament, I'm like, oh, it's snow outside. I'm going to have some hot chocolate for my uh, thing this afternoon. So I have a Spice House hot cocoa mix and um, it's just... Uh, on Old World 3rd Street in Milwaukee. And to go with that, now I'm going to be really sinful. See what I did there? Because okay. I'm doing hot chocolate and a St. Louis butter cake. And I bear with me because even though it's St. Louis, the bakery is called Miss Bev, Miss Beverly's? No, Mama Bev's bakery and it's in Hills Corners. Hmm. Um, it says that they're still open, but I don't know. I, I thought that maybe they didn't make, um, make it during the pandemic, but cause they did have an actual restaurant type place. But, um, so I got my cake at Sendix. So they sell it at Sendix, but it says, St. Louis butter cake, commonly referred to as ooey gooey butter cake. This dessert is a wonderful combination of taste and texture, a two layer dessert that combines the best features of cheesecake and white cake. And then it says, and I didn't know this until I just went on their website, 
the story of the St. Louis butter cake, a classic St. Louis dessert created out of the happiest of accidents in the 1930s. Hmm. A baker mixed up the ratio of flour and butter, which led to a fluffy cake topped with a rich, buttery, custard-like layer. It's sweet, dense, and darn near addictive. So yes, I'm going to be indulging with my hot chocolate and this rich butter cake. So that sounds amazing. It does. It, it sounds like something it, I need to try. So good. And uh, the flavor I have is raspberry. So oh. raspberry and chocolate, hot chocolate, I thought would be good. It sounds good. That's it. I can't wait to hear what Erica has because the picture looked really cool. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have, Terry? The usual water. all right so um i don't know if you guys can tell by how i sound if not great um but due to my germy children and daycare i am currently getting over another sinus infection (laughs) um this time i'm hoping to kick it before it turns into a horrendous case of bronchitis um But so for my beverage today, I decided to, um, I know we mentioned it in like Wisco facts towards the beginning of the show, but I have a, a, um, a hot toddy. And so I used, um, the tea that I used for this one is cinnamon chai tea. So I went for that cinnamon base. And then I do have some like about a teaspoon, tablespoon-ish of honey from Elegant Farmer. So it's some clover blossom honey from um, the Wisconsin farmer. Same place I went for the pumpkin, or sorry, pumpkin, popcorn seeds during the last episode. And then I've got a cinnamon stick to stir it up. And then I have a shot of brandy in there. And it is Door County apple brandy from the Door County Distillery. Um, which is, I think it's actually, I think it's, it's, it's located within the same building as the Door Peninsula Winery that we've talked about a few times. So you can actually go, um, one direction is towards the winery, the other direction is towards the distillery. And now they also have like cidery or a cider house um, there as well. But um, it's actually really cool because you can see some of like the big, um, I don't even know what you call those, but you can actually see the distillery and the inner workings of it a bit. But um, so I figured I stuck with the apple cinnamon sort of flavors and it's delicious. Sounds really good. It does. And I'm telling you, this might put me to sleep, but. um... (laughs) Hopefully not until after the podcast is over. If you fall asleep, you're screwed because the rest of us in charge is going to be brutal. (laughs) But this is, this is, it's. Oh my gosh, it's so relaxing. A little bit more facts about the brandy. So it is 35% ABV, 70 proof. Um, And this unique brandy is distilled with Door Peninsula Winery apple wine. This clean and complex fruit brandy has notes of candied apple and honey flavors combined with cinnamon aromas. So I feel like that worked really well with the cinnamon tea. Yeah, for so sure. It's it's mixing really good. Usually for hot toddies, I'll use like a chamomile tea, but I think it really doesn't matter as long as it all meshes well together. Yeah, I think I've usually just used whatever plain tea, like mm-hmm. unflavored tea I have, whether it be green or black or just regular 
tea, but that sounds really, really good with the cinnamon and the apple brandy. Yeah. 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 Um, and then for my snack, so it's another elegant farmer find. So I just kind of scour, well, I didn't scour, but I sort of picked a few things when I made my trip out there. Um, and so this is aged white cheddar with blueberries. Yum. So we'll see how that tastes because I am a little outside of my comfort zone. Not going to lie on this one. Um, but I think it's going to be good. I just uh, bought blueberry cheese this winter because I was doing a bunch of charcuterie boards for like parties and stuff that I was going to. And I loved it. And I think it was also a white cheddar. Mm -hmm. It was very good. Like it was very authentic blueberry flavor. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely got like actual blueberries in there. And it's very crumbly, I think partly because of the yeah. aged cheddar and then also with the blueberries mixed in there. But my soon to be two-year-old is like a huge cheese kid. Like all he wants is cheese, like all the time. So I figure he will certainly help me eat this up, but yeah. I'm like, you're definitely mine. <laughs> On the subject of cheese, can I give a quick little shout out story about my best friend? Sure. Um, so my friend Carrie was in town um, last week for a training, um, came in from Madison area into Milwaukee and we had gone out for a walk and had breakfast and stuff in the morning and then she was hungry and wanted a snack and in the fridge there was some string cheese mm. so I was in the living room she walked into the kitchen she came back into the living room and she's biting the end of the string cheese and I was like oh my god you're a serial killer <laughs> she started laughing she's like I know <laughs> like, like literally I know I'm a serial killer because this is how I eat string cheese <laughs> and so I told her I'm like I put it in my phone right away I'm like I'm making a note I'm bringing that up on the next podcast because we've <laughs> talked about it on other episodes like if that's the way that you eat it and she says do you know anybody else who eats it that way and I'm like my dad <laughs> I don't think my dad's a serial killer and I'm certain my best friend isn't either but it was kind of funny I was so shocked like who does that with string cheese why would you just eat it that way it's made for stringing it says it in the name yeah if you're gonna string eat cheese. if you're gonna eat string cheese that way you might as well just get some just, mozzarella cheese right just get regular cheese <laughs> Just go slug, slap a hunk off of a brick and eat it. Oh my goodness. No, there's definitely been some recurring themes in some of our episodes. String cheese is one. Yep. And then the shower curtain is the shower other curtain. one that comes to mind. So, oh man. But yeah, no, I mean, it's fun. We're coming up on a year almost. And it is now we're not as putting out as much content as some of the other podcasts, but we do have day jobs. So, um, but it, it's, it's been a fun year and uh, it's been a fast it, year. It has, it has very been fast. Yeah. Thank goodness. Because my gosh, with the pandemic, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like the longest year ever after 2020 lasted five years, we needed uh, the last year to go quick. Right. Yeah. Oh, and on that note, I do not have COVID. 
So that is one thing. It's like, I'm up on my vaccinations, but as far as the doctor is concerned, it doesn't matter. Yeah. People are still testing positive. So they're like, are you sure it's a sinus infection? And I'm like, I've had sinus infections like twice a year for like the last 10 years of my life. I think I know what a sinus infection is, but I did take the at home test just to be sure. Anyway, it was all good, but yes, it's not COVID. It's just a standard common cold. Because real, real illnesses do still exist. Yes. Because COVID happened, we still do get normal colds. Well, and I'm, I was talking about this when you're around the boys. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, and I know that they can't get vaccinated because they're too young, but I'm just like, I mean, maybe this is because I'm an engineer, so I look at numbers a little bit differently, but I'm like, okay, if you were to look at how many people get sick, even like the number of tests that have been performed, what percentage is really coming back positive? And if they're sick and it's coming back negative, it means it's something else. So if you were to put this in a Pareto chart, what's the biggest bar going to be? It's not going to be COVID. It's going to be like the common cold, hence the word common. You are so funny. I've never thought that. <laughs> so I think it is because you are an engineer and you think of numbers and yes. whatever. I've, I've never I, thought that. I work in Pareto charts and when we have quality defects, it's how do you attack the problem? You go for the biggest block first and you disprove that and then you drive, you know, drill down. But it's my opinion and I'm sure not everybody has it, so. On that note, take a nice big <clears throat> sip of your hot toddy. Yes. <laughs> that you yeah, can no, still like, taste because you don't yes. have COVID. Exactly. Right. That yeah. is it. <laughs> um, but okay, so to get into it, our Wisco fact today, it's actually more Wisco facts, plural, I guess. Um, so it is some information or factoids about the location where the case I selected takes place. So the town of Franklin came into existence in December of 1839 when the south portion of the town of Knicknick was split off into its own town. So it actually used to be a part of a town, Knicknick, which I don't even know that that exists anymore. I don't think it does. Yeah, I think that became like Bayview or Milwaukee. I think it probably split up to become, you know, a larger portion of Milwaukee itself. Um, the name Franklin was given in homage to Benjamin Franklin, which I thought was kind of interesting. Wait, is that homage or homage? Herb homage. or herb? <laughs> I would say homage and herb. <laughs> okay, it was given in homage to Benjamin Franklin. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, at the time it was founded, the population was only 248 people. So not very big oh, at all. Wow. Um, as the population grew, Franklin was eventually incorporated as a city in August of 1956. Um, and during the 50s, it was actually known as the city of homes because of how many suburbs were being built at the time. Um, oh. And then... As of 2019, the population was 35,811, so quite a bit different than when it was originally founded. I actually would have thought Franklin was a little bigger than that. 
It might be currently. It's hard to. Yeah, but I mean, probably not existentially, but yeah, it still seems a little smaller than I would have thought. Yeah, I feel like it covers a lot of area, but there are so many suburbs that have been popping up even just in the last few years that that population could already be quite a bit, mm-hmm. quite a bit bigger. Um, and then they had the whole Hales Corners, Franklin, like part of Hales Corners suddenly was Franklin. It wasn't Hales Corners anymore. They like mm-hmm. moved the, the line of whatever the county was or the city yeah. limits were at some that- point several years ago. I think both of them are part of Milwaukee County. So yeah, both are. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Muskego, which is where our or my hometown is and where I currently live, um, is borders Franklin. But where where we are in Muskego, we're actually closer to Franklin than we are to a lot of things in Muskego. (laughs) So um, and then you're Waukesha County, Muskego. Yeah, yeah, we're Waukesha County. So uh, we're like, if you drive like not even a half a mile down the road and you cross the road, you're in Franklin. <laughs> so it's, we just happen to be on the right side of that line to have good taxes compared to <laughs> Milwaukee County. <laughs> so it's kind of nice, but yeah. So our story for today, it takes place in Franklin and it, I went complete opposite direction of the last case. So the last case um, first of all, it was on the other side of the state, other border, but also it was back in history. So it was 1926. So it was a very historical case. Whereas this case, I went with something a bit more modern. And I actually remember seeing this on the news and being like, what the heck is going on? It's a crazy story. Oh, is it the grandma that disappeared? Okay, like a no, couple years ago. No, okay, because that was share the deets on that one. I'm gonna... I don't know many deets, but it's very, it was very sketchy, and that was very recent. Huh. Okay, we're gonna need to do some more probing on that. But no, it's um, <laughs> it's a different story. It's kind of crazy, and you might remember some of this. Um, that you might actually remember seeing this as well. Once we start getting into it, so this took place in. Uh, the beginning of 2019 um, in Franklin, Wisconsin. So with that, I'll d- jump into it. In the early hours of January 2nd, 2019, 35-year-old Richard Conklin was out partying with his friends, likely still celebrating the start of the new year. It would be less than the year before COVID would begin to wreak havoc on the world. So there was no worry about social distancing or a vaccination status and no thought whatsoever to whether or not a mask would be required. Just going out and having a good time. So Dina did that yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Very good time, indeed. Um, I feel like you and Richard would have gotten along well. Around 4.46 a.m., Richard attempted to call his girlfriend, but she missed the call as, like most individuals at that time, she was sleeping. Later that morning, when his girlfriend attempted to call him back, the call went unanswered. All of her calls and text messages attempting to contact him went, went unanswered. And, you know, based on the relationship that she they had she said that was very unlike him to not be responsive to her reaching out to him and so she immediately began to worry um she was worried enough and it was 
uh, you know, unlike him enough that she actually called the Franklin Police Department that same day and reported him missing. Wow. Did you say how old he is? He was 35. Okay. Okay. Yes. 35. Um, so given how soon it was after Richard had gone missing, so less than 48 hours, the fact that he was an adult and the fact that he was known to have struggled with substance abuse, um, particularly alcohol, um, it wasn't immediately a high priority. But the police did take her concerns seriously and took down the report before moving on to more pressing cases. So even if they weren't like actively going to go start looking for him, they at least did take the report and make sure that they had it documented um, so that, you know, say it, once that 48 hours came up and he still hadn't showed up, then they would, you know, be able to go and start tracking him down. That's good because I don't think all police departments do that. That right. I don't think they all take the report right away. They wait. So they to get that information while it's fresh is smart. Mm -hmm. Kudos and, to Franklin PD. I don't know that it's true or not true, but I mean, Milwaukee Police Department being such a much bigger city and having more of a caseload, they may not have done that, you know, for that matter. But it's hard to say, you know. Um, so, however, it wouldn't take long for the priority of Richard's disappearance to escalate. Later that same day, January 2nd, 2019, the Milwaukee Police Department were dispatched to a vehicle fire near 8th and Rogers. Arriving on the scene, they could immediately tell that this was a suspicious fire. It was evident that some form of an accelerant was used to start the fire, the vehicle was an F Ford, uh, or sorry, a Ford F-250 pickup truck. Um, police at the scene observed that the truck appeared to have been off-roading due to the fact that there, were, there was mud in the wheel wells and there was pine brush in the truck bed, um, which such an appearance, appearance stood out in the city streets. So clearly if this truck had been off-roading, it wasn't in the city had been somewhere else before it was set on fire. As the police started to investigate the vehicle fire, they very quickly determined that the truck was registered to Matthew Newman. So 43-year-old Matthew Newman, oh my gosh, I can't talk today. <laughs> Have another shot of it's that hot, hot toddy. <laughs> it is 35 ABV. Okay, so it's 70 proof. Okay. When Matt Newman um, opened the door to his home, when police came knocking, came calling, police were immediately struck by the strong scent of gasoline. They also noted a pile of clothing on the floor near where they spoke to him. His ability to raise suspicion only increased when he opened his mouth. According to Matt, his friend, Richard Conklin, had his truck and he had been considering reporting it stolen when he hadn't heard from him. So he brought Richard, uh, I guess unbeknownst to him, who had been reported missing earlier that day, into the conversation all on his own he didn't even have to be prompted by the police so they they found that suspicious um 
So but you did say that they were friends. Yes. So, and we'll better understand their relationship, you know, as we kind of go into the story, but yeah. So it could be, there, there are two ways of looking at it. It could be somewhat suspicious or it could be like, okay, yeah, that sounds perfectly reasonable. That certainly could have happened. He could have loaned his friend, his truck. And now for some reason he's disappeared and this truck ended up getting lit on fire in in Milwaukee. So maybe this Matt Newman's got nothing to do with it. Maybe it's just this Richard guy who's, and there's some other reason why he's missing. So it's, it's just, it's fishy. Um, So the Franklin police who are speaking to him about his truck are from the same police department that took the missing persons report for Richard Conklin from his girlfriend earlier that same day. So um, I think I may have missed this part um, earlier, but because even though it was in Milwaukee, the police, when they saw that he lived in Franklin, they reached out to the Franklin Police Department and kind of coordinated with them to do the house call to talk to him instead of them going out there to talk to him. So that's how the Franklin Police were involved in both instances. Good. Good to see that they're communicating, right? you know, the different departments together. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's how they were able to very quickly connect the dots when he brought up Richard's name into the conversation that he was also subject to a missing persons report earlier in the day. So with that, things are starting to connect, but not quite adding up. They could tell that something was afoot, um, but they didn't quite know what it was. Um, And, you know, the suspicious circumstances from when they went to talk to Matt, like the smell of accelerant, knowing that the truck was, fire was um, purposely set with an accelerant, and just the fact that he's bringing up this missing person, you know, they, they felt that his story was a little stinky a little off yeah if he hasn't had his truck for 24 hours why does he smell like gas right yeah right so however matt's wife tammy was home at the time that the police came to speak with matt and she backed up his story about him loaning his truck to richard so they didn't have any anything concrete to suggest that anything was off with his story so with her backing him up they're like okay well maybe something else is going on so with that the police left and turned their investigation to Richard Conklin and trying to figure out how he and his disappearance fit in with the burned out vehicle as police were going back to the drawing board on the vehicle fire and the disappearance of Richard Conklin things got even crazier when another person's missing persons report was filed Yikes. 40-year-old Robert Bobby Hayduke had a phone conversation with his longtime girlfriend on January 3rd, 2019, around 3 p.m. During the conversation. Sorry, Erica. Is this missing persons also in Franklin? Yeah. This next one? Okay. Well, yes and no. He lived in Racine, but he was last seen in franklin okay thank you 
Um, and I think I may have missed this detail as well when I was talking about Richard. So not only was he friends with um, Matt Newman. Yeah, I completely missed this whole section here. Okay, so um, just to back up a little bit. Okay, so Richard Conklin was friends with Matt Newman, but he was also an employee of Matt Newman. So Matt Newman, who lived in Franklin with his wife, Tammy, and their three children, owned the business Spot Free Cleaning in Franklin, Wisconsin, um, which provided commercial cleaning services and also offered snow plowing services during the winter months to generate additional revenue. And one of his employees was his friend, Richard Conklin. Um, and so when Richard was out the night of January 2nd with friends, Matt Newman was one of those friends, which could, per Matt's story, uh, backed up by Tammy, explain how his truck ended up being loaned to, to Richard. But yeah, so just to kind of connect some of those dots a little bit, that when Richard went missing, last known with a group of friends, Matt Newman was one of those individuals. And then Matt Newman's truck, which was supposedly loaned to Richard Conklin, ended up set on fire in Milwaukee that day. So then going back to where we left off. So while they're investigating the disappearance of Richard Conklin and trying to figure out how that connects to this burned out truck, 40-year-old Robert Bobby Hayduke was reported missing by his girlfriend. So he last had a phone conversation with her on January 3rd, 2019, around 3 p.m. So during the conversation, he indicated that he was still at work, spot-free cleaning. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why he was still there is because his truck had recently broken down and his boss, Matt Newman, had had it towed to the shop and was allowing him to fix it there in exchange for him fixing one of the shop's diesel trucks. So as such, he was spending extra time at the shop for a couple of days to get it fixed. Um, and he told her that he was trying to get money from Matt to buy parts for the truck. So he was in the process of trying to like locate him. Um, but when he reached out to Matt or called him, Matt said he was out of town bow hunting near Green Bay. So it's just a little mm -hmm. weird because we know that he was home the evening of the second because he talked to the police and his truck was burned out in Milwaukee. So if he's out of town. Right. What how? vehicle did he use? Yeah. Right. Um, so that was the last time that she spoke to him. And when she lost contact with him, much like Richard Conklin's girlfriend had, she started to worry and she called the police to report him missing. So they were longtime boyfriend, girlfriend. They'd been together for 10 years. So they had, you know, a close relationship. So she knew when it would be normal versus not normal to lose contact with him. So now let's recap here briefly. In Franklin, Wisconsin, within a matter of a couple of days, you have two men reported missing. Both are employees of the same company, Spot Free Cleaning. One was known to have last been seen hanging out with friends, including his boss, Matt Newman, 
who had supposedly loaned him his truck. And that same truck was later set on fire in the city of Milwaukee, but showed clear evidence that it had recently been off-roading. And the other man was last known to be at spot-free cleaning, trying to track his boss down. Sounds like there's a lot of dirt going on at spot-free <laughs> cleaning. <Yeah. laughs> <Nice tone. laughs> so <clears throat> Franklin police knew that something was going on, but didn't quite know what they were dealing with. And since the Milwaukee police were already involved to some degree due to the vehicle fire, the Franklin Police Department reached out to them and asked if they could put their heads together to figure out what was going on and determine a game plan. So they're like, let's work together on this, do some brainstorming and figure out what might be going on and what is the best way to approach it so that if there is something suspicious and criminal here that we can, you know, get a case together. So the real question is, how do you know what you're looking for if you don't know what crime was committed? Right. They, they knew that whatever they were looking for would need to be found and preserved quickly as evidence can disappear fast, especially if the suspect is aware that they're looking for something. But they had no probable cause to start searching, so they had to be smart about it and tread lightly. So that's another thing that I really appreciate is that they were were smart and were making sure that they did things by the book. Because sometimes if you just go to get evidence for the sake of getting evidence and you don't do so properly, it can really mess things up. Um, so with the recent missing person report for Bobby Hayduke placing him last at spot-free cleaning, the first step that they took was to go there and perform a welfare check. So at first glance, they didn't learn anything new. They did confirm that he had been there and that that was the last place he was seen. When they were leaving, however, something interesting sparked their attention. Bobby Hayduke's truck was still in the parking lot while he remained nowhere to be found. So if Bobby had left on his own volition, how did he do so? Now, this case seemed to sort of fall together very quickly. Did you say fall together or, or come together or fall apart? Come together, fall together. Okay. Okay. Um, it, it did seem the timeline was pretty quick from when the first missing person, to second missing person report to this next phone call that came into the police department. So the case got a major break when another phone call came into the police department, this call being from Tammy Newman. Tammy, the wife, yes, the wife of Matt Newman, who was the boss of these two gentlemen that had gone missing. Tammy informed the police that when she spoke to them on January 2nd and backed up her husband's story, she was lying. Dun, dun, Things had actually gone quite a bit differently than what Matt and she had told them. 
She said she was woken up early in the morning of January 2nd around 5 a.m. by her drunk husband fiddling with a handgun. And he said something went bad today. A few hours later, when she was leaving the house with their daughter, she saw her husband's truck parked in the driveway with a person slumped over in the passenger seat. She saw the person well enough to note that it was a man and that he appeared to be about 35 to 40 years old. And she saw that he was bleeding and by her words, appeared to be dead. Oh my gosh. Newman, so her husband, told her that the man would be fine. Newman. Um, So one thing here is like, okay, well, if he looks dead, you really believe your husband when he says he appears he's going to be fine. (laughs) But a little backstory with this is that her husband was a bit of a drinker, obviously, with such partying and coming home drunk. Um, and his friends were hey, as well. Don't rip on partying and coming home drunk. <laughs> well, as long as you're being safe, okay? I mean, being I drunk Ubered. with guns and driving is not safe. Yeah. Okay. So he's he was a bit of a drinker and the friends that he hung out with were as well. So from her standpoint, she was thinking that it wasn't a huge stretch that one of his friends may have had a bit too much to drink and may have needed to like sleep it off a little bit before driving home. So when he said that while he's bleeding, right. (laughs) But when, you know, maybe she just was in denial and didn't want to believe it, wanted to believe that her husband was right, that he's fine. And maybe he was just drunk and sleeping it off and he'd drive home and go on his way. I think you might still want to check in on them. <laughs> right. Well, so I think that that's kind of, she probably was like, I don't know, but okay. And she left, shook his word for it and left. And, but obviously it weighed on her mind enough, especially as things progressed that she did end up calling the police. So she may not have done it right away, but once things started kind of adding up, she's like, all right, no, that, I don't think that's right. I think something else was going on. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I call authorities. Good for her. Um, yeah. So it'd be easy to make that right call against your spouse. Right. Exactly. True, yeah. yeah. So initially she she kind of took his word for it and she left. And when she came back home later that day, both her husband and the truck were gone. Um, and then her husband didn't arrive back at the home until around 10 p.m. that night. And when he came home, he smelled so strongly of diesel fuel that she made him take his clothes off, um, which explains the pile of clothing on the floor when the police came by later that night to talk to him about his truck being set on fire. <laughs> so now she's probably like, oh, okay, something's weird here. Like, what what's going on? What happened? But at that time, too, she's like, she didn't know what was going on. And so what is she supposed to say? So she backs him up initially, you know, because she's probably trying to figure out more information before she talks to the police. I mean, it's her husband, right? So after making this call and telling this to the police, police responded to her call and went back to the home of Matt Newman. So uh, the clothing that she had made him discard had not yet been washed. 
So police were able to bag them up and take them for evidence. And while they were there, Tammy also showed them a spot of blood on the driveway. I don't think it was anything like significant. It was just like, this is where his truck was. I saw the guy bleeding it, you know, this spot of blood might be from him. Um, so at this point, there was still no body, just a missing person and a witness who believed that the individual in her husband's truck may have been dead. To determine whether or not they were really dealing with a body and possibly a murder, the police department took what evidence and information they had to get a search warrant and arrange for cadaver dogs. So now they had the probable cause to be able to get the search warrant and actually do a formal search. So using a specially trained cadaver dog out of Madison, Wisconsin, they conducted a search at Matt Newman's business spot free cleaning. And the dog hit on four different spots inside the Ooh. building. Whoa. Yeah. So to kind of explain a little bit of what that actually means. So that means that the dog identified four different locations inside of the building where it could smell human decomposition. So they're trained right. to react specifically to that smell. doesn't mean there's a body. It just means that they smelled that it was there. So with that, police had enough that they definitely believe that something bad happened, that it started at spot-free cleaning, and that it likely involved Richard Conklin, Bobby Hayduke, and Matt Newman. But there were still no bodies. And in addition to, so in addition to the search at spot-free cleaning, the police also performed a search at the residence of Matt and Tammy Newman, so a little bit more in-depth than the initial search when they came and collected the clothes. Um, while at the Newman residence, the police spoke with Matt Newman's son, who told investigators that his dad had another property in the form of hunting property. Um, and so thinking back to the appearance that the burned truck seemed to have been off-roading, investigators yes. were eager to, eager to learn where this property was. But the only problem was that the son didn't know where the hunting, he just knew his dad had hunting property, he didn't know where. Um, and so the other thought that they had was that this hunting property doesn't mean he owns it, he could just rent it and it could be like a cash under the table deal where there's no records for where it is. So they're like, all right, how do we track this down? Um, so they started making phone calls um, to try and trace this and they kind of got lucky so they were able to find um, a property in East Troy that had a contact with Matt Newman from a few years prior. So now they had a location for hunting property in East Troy, which they noted was about 40 minutes away. So if he were to go there, it's conveniently located. Right. Doable, definitely nearby right. enough. Yeah. <clears throat> So they went there, they kind of headed out there to check it out. Um, I think they said that they sent some investigators from the DA's office to go check it out. So they didn't have a warrant. So they, they still didn't have sufficient evidence for a search warrant for this property. I don't know how all this stuff works, but they didn't have enough evidence for a search warrant. So they went on a kind of a reconnaissance mission. So they went to go kind of check it out, see what they could um, probably hoping to get that probable cause to get an official search warrant for the property. 
Um, and that actually did happen. So they were able to look around without entering the property and they made contact with a neighbor um, who allowed them to walk the property line between, between the two of them. Um, so they were able to like look in to his property and you're talking a lot of acreage because it is hunting property. So it's not going to be just like a handful of acres. You're probably talking 20 or so acres. So from the neighbor's property, they were able to see a spot-free cleaning trailer located on Newman's property. And the trailer was open and kind of had stuff strewn all over the place. So they're like, yeah, that's not normal. Um, and so they could also tell from the appearance that it happened recently. Um, and it may have been because it was January. So it could have been that there was snow on the ground. And if there was snow, no snow on the stuff strewn out, you could tell that it was at least before or after the snow fell. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that for a fact, but there were some way that they could tell that it had occurred recently. So the oddity of this situation was sufficient to allow the police to get a search warrant for the property. So that gave them the probable cause that they were looking for to be able to go onto the property and do a formal search um, to see if there was anything to be found there related to whatever it is that's going on. So they, they suspect that they might be dealing with one, maybe two um, murders here and Matt Newman may or may not be involved. And so they, they kind of have an idea of what they're looking for, but they may or may not find anything. They don't know. But now they have the probable cause to go and look. So they did note and they knew going into this that this is a very large hunting property. So with the size of it, with all of the acreage, it could take days to properly search it. So they kind of reached out to various police departments and um, offices to get anyone that was willing to help to take part in the search. So, I mean, you kind of noted, Jill, that it was really nice that the, or a good thing, I guess, that the Franklin police and the Milwaukee police were like really good with communicating. And this is another good example. So they actually had a very cross-departmental search um, for this property. So they had individuals from the Milwaukee Police Department, individuals from the DA's office. They had um, representation from the East Troy Police Department, the Walworth County Sheriff's Office, and also the Franklin Police Department. So they had like tons of people from all these different departments helping out for this search. The natural starting point for the search um, where they started it out was the cabin that was located on the property. So it was the, probably the only structure on the property. So they started there. And uh, let's just say they, the search was fruitful very quickly. So behind the cabin was a fire pit. And it was evident that the fire pit had been used recently. Um, and that the fire was a large hot blaze as the nearby pine trees were scorched, like Ugh. high scorched. Ugh. So not your standard bonfire. Yeah. Uh, looking inside the fire pit, a horrifying discovery was made. There's a dead body in there. Two burned human skeletons were clearly oh. visible still within the fire pit. Oh, no. wow. Oh. 
I want to know what happened that this guy did this. It's yeah. I'm going to tell you it's. He got drunk. Oh, there's, there's, there's no, there's, it's really drunk. And I burned the bodies of two of my employees after I murdered them. Like, I don't know why he did that aside from the fact that he's just like, okay, I fucked up and I'm trying to like cover this up because I don't want to go to jail. Like that's the only justification I can think of for why he tried to, like he did what he did that way. But like how this all went down initially, how it started just seems like it's so stupid. It's so stupid. And we'll get there. We'll get there. So it took days for a forensic anthropologist to excavate the scene and ensure that all of the remains in the fire pit were accounted for. And so they were able to confirm that there were two bodies. One of the bodies was further degraded than the other um, to the point that the body could not be immediately identified. So it was burned so thoroughly that there was no DNA that could be collected. Wow. The other body was positively identified through DNA as Bobby Hayduk. So that's the, the second individual that was reported missing. The excavation of the fire pit also revealed that the fire had burned for days at intense temperatures. Um, so days? That days. Oh my gosh. Holy crap. I think by the point that they were at the property and um when a arrest was made was like january 10th so you're talking a week after they were initially reported missing so that type of burn takes work um so human bodies are not easy to burn um i guess i don't know for a fact i just heard that through the actually a lot oh, of this in, podcast yeah I, well i'm podcast you listen to yeah it. one of my yeah hear that on podcast and also so i haven't actually watched it um but making a murderer i guess is another yeah. point there because he had attempted to supposedly attempted to burn her body anyway uh but yeah so human bodies are not easy to burn so he really kind of had to work at it Um, So that in mind, investigators canvassed local hardware and home improvement stores to see what could be learned from the surveillance videos. And what they found was Matt Newman buying lots and lots of charcoal and lighter fluid. Mm. Charcoal. Oh my gosh. Now, yeah. Like, Uh, he also collected pallets, which would have been additional fuel for a fire. So he was getting anything uh, he could to help burn those bodies. Um, and, you know, I think we've already made that jump, but investigators theorized that the second unidentified body was that of Richard Conklin and that the further degradation of his remains was due to him being in the fire longer since he had been reported missing earlier. Matt Newman was arrested with a probable cause warrant. And while it seems hard to believe uh, from my perspective, I guess, um, all of the evidence so far was circumstantial 
So everything that we've kind of talked about is all apparently circumstantial evidence, um, which is why I am not a investigator or a DA and I'm just a true crime observer. Um, so there was enough circumstantial evidence that the DA's office was ready to move forward. But the biggest concern at this point would be collecting as much supporting evidence as possible to rule out any potential reasonable doubt that could be raised by the defense. There was also the fact that they hadn't been able to positively identify the second body as that of Richard Conklin. So they needed to come up with other evidence to make the case that he too was murdered. So they, he's missing and there's this body, but they can't prove that it's him. So they've got to try to show a reasonable chain of events to result in the conclusion that he too was murdered kind of like how um like in the case of donna may barrel her body was never found so they need to make the case that um that she was murdered to some mm -hmm. extent so so this is when they went back to Newman's truck that had been set on fire in the streets of Milwaukee, and they went over it with a fine tooth comb. Forensic investigators x-rayed the truck as the interior had been badly damaged by the fire. X-rays revealed a bullet hole in the truck's frame at the head level by the passenger side seat. And when they removed the passenger seat from the truck, it revealed blood underneath, which was able to be collected for DNA evidence and did come back as a match to Richard Conklin. So that is the second body. So now they have, or the, still the one that was decomposed. I still don't know if they could definitively prove that it was his body but i think they at least had enough evidence to make the conclusion that it was so they could present it to a jury um and then it would be up to the jury to determine reasonable doubt of whether or not that was him if that makes sense yeah so investigators also went to work canvassing all the places Matt and the victims had been to in the days leading up to and after the murders to collect receipts, video footage, anything they could to showcase the timeline. Um, cell phone records obtained for Richard Conklin's phone would end up supporting Tammy's story that he was the man slumped over in the passenger seat. So this is additional um, evidence that they could use to, to make that case. So the time Richard Conklin last used his phone to call his girlfriend was 4.46 a.m. And while he didn't use his phone again, it was still traceable for a period of time. Um, the last time his phone pinged off a cell tower was around 5.55 a.m. on January 2nd. And the cell tower it pinged off of was the one near Matt Newman's home. So kind of puts him, puts him there. It is truck. Um, so all while investigators were building their case, Matt Newman was behind bars and investigators couldn't help but hope that he would want to talk. So again, circumstantial evidence, they're trying to build their case that uh, to, to rule out any reasonable doubt. But if they could get a confession, then slam dunk, there you go. Um, so they're hoping that he would talk. 
But despite all the evidence piling up against him, Matt Newman clung to his innocence. Eventually, he did offer to talk to investigators and told them about some of the places he and Richard had been while they were out partying on the first into the second. Um, some of this was able to be corroborated and some wasn't. So whether he was intentionally lying or was just so drunk at the time that he didn't remember correctly is anyone's guess. So I think and and my guess is they're not Ubering around to these places. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. They were in the truck. Yeah. 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 Um, so while sharing this information, he still stuck to his story that it wasn't him. He said things like, if I had killed them, you never would have found them. Um, oh, well, isn't that defense. reassuring? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just like, I'm not stupid i watch shows i wouldn't uh, you know i wouldn't have been caught um so i wouldn't be stupid enough to do it on my own land and point to myself you know he kind of referenced what the stephen avery case and all that stuff yeah is he's probably like hey i own a cleaning business i know right. how to clean up <laughs> i know how to clean up after a murder what do you think right. yeah yeah Aww. So he even put forth the alternate scenario in which a mutual acquaintance of his and Richard's was the one who had killed him. Um, and while the investigators didn't believe it, they still did their due diligence and tracked it down and were able to obtain evidence to disprove it. So again, it's trying to do everything that they can to rule out reasonable doubt. So if he were to bring that up during the trial, they could throw it back in his face and say, nope. In the end, what actually happened isn't exactly clear, especially with Matt Newman refusing to admit his guilt. But ultimately, the chain of events are believed to have roughly gone like this. And this is where, again, it sounds stupid, but when you have alcohol and dumb idiots mixed together with things they shouldn't have, stupid shit happens. And it's crazy. Okay, so Matt Newman and Richard Conklin were out partying together the evening of January 1st into the early hours of January 2nd. Both men were getting increasingly intoxicated. Um, and this is probably nothing out of the ordinary for them as both of them had a bit of a, a drinking problem, I would say, or at least had some uh, history with well you're kind of a pro if you can go out on january 1st yeah after going out january december 31st into january 1st yeah i mean 13 hours 13 hours is nothing for these guys for some of us that's nothing yeah so all right so during one of the phone calls, Richard Conklin placed his girlfriend before she lost contact with him. He had indicated that he and Newman were partying at the spot free cleaning shop. So it places such a, them at a the, great place to party. Yeah. <laughs> at least they're not driving at that point if they're yeah. in a single location, but um, it does put them in the spot where the cadaver dog hit inside the building. So there's that. Um, at some point, both men were in Newman's truck, and the heavily intoxicated men got into an argument, 
possibly over Conklin trying to steal Newman's cigarettes. Oh my God. Which is, which is per, um, in the, I found a couple of different sources and articles where supposedly his, uh, Matt Newman's daughter overheard him telling, I think it was his wife or someone that he shot him over a pack of squares, which was in reference to cigarettes. So seriously, crazy. he's drunk and oh my gosh, I, the way I really I'll, need a smoke, man. Well, let me yeah. let me tell you kind of how I picture it in my but... head after I kind of read through this. So they got into an argument, possibly over Conklin trying to steal Newman cigarettes, and Newman, who should not have had a handgun in an intoxicated state, probably not at all, right. shot Richard in the head, killing him. So I kind of look at this as like two drunk guys getting into a fight and him like grabbing a gun, probably not even thinking about, I mean, so drunk to the point he's not even connecting the consequences of what he's about to do and just pulling the trigger, not thinking like, okay, it's going to kill him. Maybe he was just trying to scare him or playing around, but he's just so drunk I don't know. That's kind of how I picture it. And then you're just like, oh shit. You know what I mean? Like, did that just happen? Um, Terrible. I mean, like I said, it just makes no sense. There's just, it's completely senseless. I mean, murder in general is senseless, but the motive is just so stupid. Yeah. It's just stupid. It's like 10 bucks. Not sure what to do. Matt drove home with Richard in the truck. And he was so drunk that he went inside and passed out. Leaving Richard in the truck in his driveway. Oh! Where his wife would see him hours later. Holy shit. Yeah. Once he sobered up, he figured out a plan. He drove Richard to his hunting property and placed his body in the burn pit, setting it on fire. He drove his truck back to Milwaukee and set that on fire. And he was picked up by his brother and dropped off at home where he would be when police came came to talk to him about the truck. The next day, January 3rd, it's believed that he crossed paths with Bobby Hayduke at Spot Free Cleaning. Uh, Bobby was trying to track him down and maybe he was asking some questions he shouldn't be. Oh, so these are totally two separate incidents. Separate incidents. Yeah, I didn't yeah, gather that. <laughs> so yeah, something there, I mean, they're theorizing at this point. So the, the first one like happened while he was drunk, intoxicated, and it was probably like completely stupid. The second one is a little bit more, he clearly had more awareness of what he was doing. So it's believed that something in their exchange led to Bobby also being shot and killed. Um, investigators believed he may have been asking questions about Richard. Maybe he saw something at the shop that made him suspicious, or maybe he knew about them partying and knew that he was missing. Maybe he was also trying to get a hold of him and couldn't and was asking him questions about, you know, what they were up to the night before. Who knows exactly what happened? Matt does, but he's not talking. Um, So something in their exchange led to Bobby also being shot and killed. Um, And then Matt Newman 
they believe, loaded Bobby Hayduke's body into the spot-free cleaning trailer, which was later found on the hunting property. So, and drove it out to his hunting property and then added his body to the burn pit. So that led to Richard's body being burned twice, hence the further degradation of his remains. Wow. I, I'm just going to go out there and say that I think this guy has killed too many brain cells. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so while some believe that Matt Newman may be so far into denial that he truly can't admit what he did, part of me wonders if he was just so drunk when he initially killed Richard that he just honestly doesn't remember or know what exactly happened, at least for oh, that part of it. Possibly be so drunk that you don't even know that you killed somebody i mean or or maybe just thought that he i don't know i mean it's it's, i mean he was clearly not in his right mind to the point that he just left a dead body in his truck overnight in the driveway so he had the common sense to even put the body in the truck i mean i think he was already in the truck i think they were both sitting in the truck Oh, yeah, that's right. Because that gunshot went yeah. through yeah, the speed or whatever. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. God, you guys so... are so on it today. <laughs> <laughs> We're not hungover. <laughs> <laughs> but either I way, he convinced himself that the guy was just passed out and went in his house to sleep it off and thought the other guy would sleep it off in the truck. Right. He, I mean, he probably did. And then when he realized that what was going on, it was like, okay, now I got to figure this out. Yeah. And it's horrific the way that he went about it. But uh, I mean, either way, a piece of shit that he killed a second guy. Right. I mean, mean, and now you can't write that off as just being so drunk. You did something stupid. Like he knew what he was doing. Yeah. That one was intentional. Right. So, Either way, two men were senselessly murdered and they deserve justice. So in the end, Matt Newman was charged with two counts of first degree reckless homicide and hiding a corpse. After four hours of testimony and just, or sorry, I think it was four days, four days, four days of testimony and just three hours. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say that's, that doesn't seem right. So four, four days of testimony and just three hours of deliberation, a jury found him guilty of all charges. At sentencing, he faced a maximum of, of 155 years in prison and he was ultimately sentenced to 72 years in prison with 28 years extended supervision. And he'll never get out because he's, yeah, because he's too old to be in jail for 72 years. Exactly. 44 years old at the time of sentencing, it's likely Matt Newman will die in prison. Good. As he should. Yeah. Good riddance. So um, I just want to note that there are, um, and I'll have all the sources online. So there are a couple, there's a lot of different articles that I was able to find on this, but I also, um, got a lot of information listening to another podcast that did an episode on this called anatomy of murder. And oh, I like that. yeah, so I was able to get quite a bit of information from that and then um, add in some additional details from the online sources I found. So I just want to call that out. Yeah. You actually got me listening to the anatomy of murder. Yeah. It's um, well, podcast. I figured for you, especially because for, yeah, from the legal aspect yeah. of it, it's, it's definitely interesting to me. 
Yeah. So, but yeah, so that one was not that long ago. I do vaguely remember seeing stories on like the news. I think they had like helicopter footage over the hunting property and all this stuff. It sounds very vaguely familiar to me, but considering the last two years, it felt like 10, you know, I mean, <laughs> 2019 seems so long ago, but right. I'm surprised I don't remember more of this, but it does sound somewhat like very slightly familiar. Yeah, it's pre-COVID, so yeah, everything is like pre-COVID is just so far into history. Yeah, so long ago. <laughs> So I don't remember anything about that, but my um, first house, uh, I bought it in Franklin and Dina might remember this. Well, I had a pool, but there was, um, what, what is that called? The booze bottle, a fifth or whatever. One of those, the smaller, like that you can put in your pocket. Is that called a fifth? Yeah. I I only buy the 1.75s because they're so much cheaper. There's no way. I I mean, maybe I'd buy one and then refill it with my 1.7, but I was finding these fifth bottles. Oh gosh. What was it? Was it whiskey or I don't, I don't remember all over my yard. And, and I had a pool, so I was afraid that this was going to get tossed into my pool and then the, it would break uh, break and cut yeah. the liner. I don't know. So I finally, I called the Franklin police and he came out and he said something to me like, well, you know, this isn't really a priority or, or like something they had going on. And I remember thinking, oh, because of all the murders you have going on right. in Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, this, this, this scenario was 30, 30 years ago or whatever, <laughs> near near 30 years ago. So not in the past few years when this murder happened, but apparently murders do happen in Franklin, I guess, is my point. Yikes. I do remember oh, something and- about that. By the way, I finally figured out it was my neighbor was apparently an alcoholic and probably didn't want his wife to find out, find all the booze that he was drinking and the recycling or whatnot. So he would whip them over into my yard and my tree line. And yeah, the one that always left the dog tied outside. Yep. And, the, and then he would be like um, mowing his yard at like nine o'clock at night Yeah, he because he probably duck. was all lit up and just <laughs> running around the yard on his lawnmower and his oh rider. Yeah. Wow. So That's kind of yeah. odd because alcohol is a depressant. So you wouldn't think that it would make him all hyped up enough to mow the lawn. Yeah. Well, he probably I, just well, needed right? a reason to go outside and yeah, yeah. Away. Maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe he was drinking was where he, he was could going. That you know what? That's probably what it was. It's so it made it the bottles made it into your yard and the uh-huh. Uh-huh. So oh man. A little tidbit. All right. So um I'll wrap this up with uh Wisco high notes. Um, so I kind of mentioned that I'm an engineer in engineering backgrounds, engineering, whatever, at the start of this kind of in a side note. Um, but as a woman in STEM, which stands for science, technology, engineering, and math, I am a huge fan of the various STEM programs that are available for students today 
And while I didn't participate in these programs when I was in school, I did serve as an engineering mentor for three years of the Future City competition for a middle school in Franklin, Wisconsin. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, So Future City is a STEM competition at the middle school level. And likewise, robotics is a high school level STEM program. And so here's a little thing that I learned about the Franklin High School robotics team. So this is from um, it's an online Franklin Public Schools newsletter, um, and it's s'more.com. Um, but so this was actually published Friday, the 11th. So the title, it says, um, Franklin High School, or FHS, Saber Robotics Advances to Nationals. So Franklin High School. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. Huge, yeah. Franklin High School's very own Saber Robotics team traveled up north to Duluth, Minnesota last weekend to participate in the first robotics club's week one Lake Superior regional event. (laughs) The team was awarded the Regional Engineering Inspiration Award sponsored by NASA. This award celebrates outstanding success in advancing respect and appreciation for engineering within a team's school or organization and community and qualifies them to travel to the world championship in Houston, Texas in April. So congrats and good luck, Saber. Wow, congrats. Now, not to be disappointed but i when i heard world competition i was kind of hoping that they would get to go to another country oh happy hey yeah but no that is very exciting i know that um the future city competitions i think that for the regionals there's a lot of um montessori schools so they always do really well in the in the competition but they get to go to nationals in Washington, D.C., but it's actually really neat what they do with Future City because that's focused on it's a couple of different things that they do, but it's it's they give like a, a given question each year, like how do you handle waste disposal or transportation in like a future city? So it really challenges them to think of creative ways um, of how to address those challenges. Now, when you say future city, they just say city X, Y, Z, we're making up a city or do they say in Houston in 20,050? They make up a city. So like they actually will, um, part of it is actually building a city in SimCity. Oh, really? Yep. So there's like, they have to build a city in SimCity. They have to build a model city and to scale. Wow that has like showcases um, things that they've incorporated into their city to address whatever the question is. So one year that I did it, it was transportation. One year that I did it, it was like food source. And then I think another year it was um, addressing like garbage or waste disposal and like how to um, address that. And so they, they create a city they do it in SimCity. They make an actual model, which is really fun. Um, and then they write, I think they have to write like an essay. And then when they go to the competition, they actually have like a, like a presentation that they have to give as well. So it's like a well-rounded skill set thing. And the team is usually like three to 
four individuals because I think only three can be in the presentation and stuff like that. So, wow, that's a small team. I guess I was yeah. just assuming it was like over five, like five to seven on a team. So are you saying that the Franklin team only has one team and there's only three to four people on it? Um, I think schools can have multiple teams. It depends okay. on how much interest there is. And some of the schools are obviously sure. bigger. Um, sure. I, I mentored for a, a private school, so they didn't have a ton of students. So it usually was just three students and one team for that, but it's definitely very fun. And uh, my work, uh, there's a, the director of operations where I work is actually very involved in Future City um, here in the Milwaukee area as well. So it's a very cool thing to be involved in. And um, I don't know about Ben and Zach, but if they're interested in robotics. For a little while, more so Zach, I would think than Bennett, because Zach yeah. is, loves the Legos and building and things like that. But um, I really wanted him to get into uh, robotics because that started in Greendale. I think they just started a club within the past year or two. And it just didn't work out with our schedule. And so unfortunately. But. Yeah, my um, cousin, she and her husband live in Greendale and um, their son, um, my second cousin, if you will, um, he uh, is currently, I think he's still in college. He hasn't graduated yet, has he? Not yet. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's still in college, but he went for engineering. But when he was in high school, they were asking me about it because they wanted to get him involved in robotics. Um, as well, because of the fact that I think he was interested in engineering and it's a great way to kind of get into some of those skills. And it looks great on a college resume, resume. But, yeah. But it's a lot of fun, at least from like the actual, like creativity standpoint. So I mean, I brag, but I was a mathlete. So, I mean, oh, <laughs> Dina, I can't believe that. Oh yeah. <laughs> May not have been smart enough to do robotics, but I was good at math. Wow. Well, I'm just picturing you smelling like smoke coming to math league. <laughs> Rolling up in math league. <laughs> Well, we've had many of our conversations during our podcast. We're like, oh, I was a bad teenager. <laughs> I was a bad teenager, but I was pretty young when I was a math league. I think it was the math league. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I was pretty smart at one point in time. <laughs> Says the paralegal. Now, now you've killed too many brain cells to yeah, just right. <laughs> All good things oh, come man. to an end. Oh, I think <laughs> cut a long ways before you come to an end, Dina. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. But um, I guess for those that might be listening, next episode, we're going to try and do something a little bit different. I won't say what, just listen and be surprised. But um, I guess with our one year anniversary coming around the corner, we thought we'd try something a little different and see if it's uh something worth repeating um and bear with us and if you like it or don't like it let us know yeah um i'm looking forward to it because it'll be a break for me 
Erica's going to be able to get shit faced. I'll have two hot toddies. Um, They'll be able to eat some food while the rest of us talk. Right, right. right. Oh, man. But until next time, eat, drink, and be wary. Thank you for listening to Beer, Cheese, and Murder. We would like to also thank the references that make this podcast possible. A full list of references can be found on our website at beercheeseandmurderpodcast.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at beercheeseandmurderpod, where pictures from today's episode are available for your viewing. If you would like to share your feedback, Wisco facts, case suggestions, stories, or just whatever, please email us at contact at beercheeseandmurderpodcast.com. Don't forget to tell your friends, but most importantly, until next time, eat, drink, and be wary.